morning. Um, before we start, I thought we'd, you know, uh, we, saw, we saw a lot of pictures of that earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Um, and, uh, you know, one, way, one great organization to give to Samaritan's Purse, they're um, just setting up a hospital there. Um, and so that's something that you can use and keep in mind. Um, but I thought we could just say a prayer and then we'll jump into the message. Lord, we pray, um, Lord, in difficult times like this, Lord, that uh, your grace and your power would be seen, and uh, Lord, that your people, um, Lord, would uh, come to the physical and spiritual aid of many who are uh, hurting. And Lord, we live in a hurting world, a broken world, where sin has impacted, um, Lord, humanity and nature and everything. So Lord, we look to you always, uh, looking forward to being with you. Um, So Lord God, in this difficult world, help us as a church to shine bright, uh, be uh, the hope and the light of this world, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, as Gene uh, mentioned, uh, we have a meeting here after, and we do have extra uh, devotionals on Colossians. And so the format is you do chapter two all week. And, you, you know, just to, like, read it every day, memorize it, know it. And then Wednesday you tune into the Bible study, and we had a good time this week as well um, on Zoom. And so wherever you're at, you could just pause and zoom in and, uh, and be with us in there. Uh, there are extra devotionals. It was, a, it was good problems last week. We ran out. And so we printed some more so you could take one on your way out if you didn't. Um, so please join us in that as a church as we go through uh, this wonderful letter together. Um, today we read the story about uh, Jacob eventually meeting his wife. Um, and when he meets uh, Rachel, he runs into a whole bunch of problems. You thought, when you first read this, it seems like a fairy tale. He meets her, um, they are, uh, randomly they meet, and, and she is bringing the sheep to water, and he helps water the sheep, and she's beautiful, he falls in love at first sight, and uh, you, you think, uh, boy, that was, life is simple and easy, but life becomes very difficult. Uh, it takes 20 years of his life now to try to win her over and try to go back home. And you remember the mess last week, we talked about just a a couple of weeks ago, the mess he made at home. He has his dream from God. God is continuing his presence upon him. And he now goes to a new land, a foreign land, not knowing exactly where to go. And he meets his future wife. But uh, life brings upon some hardships, a detour. Probably the thing that all of us hate the most is when there's unplanned interruptions. You were trying to get to work by a certain time and there happened to be um, traffic, really bad traffic. And you're like, oh gosh, you know, or, or you're just going to have a really busy week at work and then you get sick or your child gets sick and you're stuck at home for a couple days and you're just like, oh man, this just really messes up my plans. Or you go all the way to vacation and you find out someone is sick in your family and you're spending time in just the hotel room. And whatever it is that we might go through, none of us like these interruptions. Especially in our culture today, we feel like uh, health and wealth and pleasure is our right. So we, we really cannot handle it. And we think, boy, if God blesses me, and we think about uh, the blessed life as uh, the promotions and the wealth and the ease and the fun and the laughter, and we say, boy, that's the blessed life, and we think of that. But here we see a blessed man of God. We see someone who is chosen to continue to be the patriarch of uh, this new nation, Israel, God's people. And he's going to now start God's people, a nation, 
and he's going to be doing this. And eventually through that lineage is going to come the Messiah. And so you look at this picture and you say, boy, he is going to have a blessed life. Shouldn't life be so easy for him? Shouldn't everything come just so easy if God is helping him? But yet God disciplines him. God sends trials his way. And for 20 years, he is now under Laban. You think about uh, the difficult time that he had to spend, right, to go and do this. And so today we look at this story. We're going to see how in our trials, how God disciplines us. And the sovereign God that we worship somehow still has his hand on our lives. And he now is with us. And then we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12 at the end, and it's going to tell us and remind us that God is with us. God's discipline is out of love, and it has a purpose. And so you think about that, and hopefully it'll encourage us a little bit. You know, as Martin Luther said, that every good theologian or pastor needs three things. Prayer, study, and suffering. And I think this is true for all Christians. Every maturing Christian needs three things. Prayer, studying of the Word of God, and suffering. It is the suffering, it is the scars of life that mature us. It helps us to now love others and care for others. It helps us to know Christ in His suffering. It helps us to know and value the amount that He had gone through in what little we ourselves could handle. That Christ knows all these things. It draws us oftentimes closer to God. Our prayer lives get um, more intimate, more depth, uh, longer uh, in our trials. And so we look at that. So let's look at this story first. Uh, Genesis 29, look at verse 10. This is his first encounter with Rachel. Now as soon as uh, Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, um, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled a stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. So it's telling us here they meet randomly. Now, when Jacob is going to meet his wife, he doesn't know who the wife is. It's not like it was a, uh, something that was set up online or, or someone set them up. He's just going to go. And he, his father and mother, had said, you have to go to this land because your brother wants to kill you. And he is now going, hoping to meet someone. He goes there, and um, they find a well. He finds a well, and obviously the well is the place that everyone gathers. This is where now the animal gets their water, and this is very important. And there was a big stone on top of the well. It was to protect the well. It was to keep animals out of it, so on and so forth. And so at a certain time of the day, it would take a group of men to move this heavy stone out of the way so they could now share the water. Well, here comes Rachel, and she's coming down with her father's sheep, and he sees her, and uh, it's love at first sight, right? Um, and uh, I wonder if she came down the hill and she was coming down slow motion, and her hair was perfectly permed or whatever it was, and condition, you know, it was like a shampoo commercial, and she's coming down and he sees her, and the angels are singing and so on. And he does something kind of funny. One of the commentators points out, right, that he himself, as soon as he sees her, uh, is showing off, and he moves the stone by himself. Us guys, we know what that's like, right? Um, we call this, uh, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal years back called the cheerleader effect, that guys, whenever there are cheerleaders, 
They show up to impress, right? Today, we're gonna, many of us are going to watch football, and these guys are going to play extra hard, and there will be cheerleaders cheering for them. And this is true on our, our level. We've seen this. We've seen guys play extra harder or lift extra weights or try to be extra funny when now there's a pretty girl in the room and they're trying to impress her. I remember when I had first met, my, met Sharon, and we weren't even dating, and um, I wanted to ask her out on a date, right? And this is pretty interesting. On a Friday night, I met her at a concert, the Cry concert back in, some of you remember, right? That's where seminary students went on Friday night to the Cry concert. And she was there, and I met her briefly. And I was trying to think, how do I, it was one of those. It was one of these moments. I was like, I think I met my wife. And um, that following Sunday, I kid you not, we had, you know, this is when we're playing church versus church football. Um, great fellowship, by the way, right? We're like, going, we're just, we want to kill you. Um, and after church service, and we were playing the church she was attending. So I, this was going to be my day. This was going to be my Jacob moment. And it was. I mean, some of you guys are old enough to know Lawrence Taylor. I mean, I was Lawrence Taylor that day because I kept looking over. She was on the sideline. Oh, my gosh, she's here. And if she sees me playing like Lawrence Taylor, I have a better chance. And I remember, I mean, I had so many sacks and tackles and this and that. And uh, people were terrified of me for that day. And then now I bring it up to her. And after she goes, I didn't even know you were there, you know. <laughs> I said, what? These poor guys, I, I laid out all of them, right? I, I was like, Lawrence, incredible hope just for a day. You didn't know? I said, yeah, you did. Because now I didn't know you were playing. Like, yeah, right. Anyways, uh, this is my confession, my guilty pleasure. This week I was, like many of us are watching on Netflix, Physical 100. Have you seen that, some of you? Everyone is like super buff and they do weird challenges. And I started watching it. And uh, one of them, I won't give away who won or not, so that episode hasn't come out yet, so I don't know either. But one of them, they have to move this big object, and they're making keys. And there's some ladies in the mix. And uh, some of the guys were saying, we don't want any of these ladies on our team because we need, we need strength. But see, I was already working on the sermon, and I was thinking, no, 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 no. You need a pretty girl in the group because, and lo and behold, right, the group that had the girl yelling and cheering, saying, you're so strong. These guys were, I mean, they were moving stuff right? They were going. Um, and that's what we see here. He is now moving a stone. He is impressing her. He is uh, madly in love, fallen in love. And he says, I need to marry this girl. Goes to her father Laban and asks for her hand in marriage. It says in verse 18 that he loved Rachel. So it was literally love at first sight. And he says, I will serve you seven years for your daughter, younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. It's interesting, right? Because back in those days, and even many cultures today, there would be a price or a prize or, or a treasure or money that would be given, exchanged from family to family for their daughter in marriage or husband in marriage or whatnot. And uh, he had nothing to offer other than his time. And so he says, I will give you seven years. Think of how long seven years is. Is anyone worth seven years, right? So if you think about it, that is all, all 
middle school and high school and another year, right? I mean, that's your undergrad, college, and a master's degree all together. I mean, that's a long time, seven years. But he loved her. And it says in verse 20 that it seemed like a few days because of the love he had. And maybe Laban saw this young fool, saw him lifting the stone and heard about it and says, oh boy, you keep her around. And he can move things like an ox, like he is here to impress her, right? So long as she, he's dangling his daughter, hey, look who's here. And he is now moving everything and cleaning up everything. And he is uh, a very efficient worker. So he works seven years. He is supposed to get married to her. We, many of us know the story. And the evening now, the seven years had come, and they were supposed to be married. Um, and uh, he now deceives him. One little side note here. It's interesting that when he had approached and met Rachel, you see, this is no mere coincidence that God had somehow allowed this to happen. The providence of God is seen here. And yet, also, one thing we see, there's a very a lot of similarities to when Abraham had sent a servant to find Isaac's wife. Right, in Genesis 24. And so they both go where there's water. They both see a beautiful girl. They knew right away that it's her. And, uh, you know, they're tending to animals. I mean, there's a lot of parallels. But there's one big difference. In Genesis 24, when Abraham's servant uh, is going, before they even go, they pray. Oh, Lord, God of my master, man, please grant me success today. Show me steadfast love for my master Abraham. Behold. And so there's a prayer. In 2412, 2413 of Genesis. Jacob, on the other hand, there is no prayer. God is the one that had to intervene and interrupt him. We saw last week. And it's still the same. He is going on instinct. He is going on his gut feeling. And he is now ignoring God. And he is going in this way. And it is so important that in anything important, especially something like this in a dating, courting relationship, that it has to start with prayer for the Christian. God, how can I honor you through this? God, is this the right thing to do? And this is what we see here happening. That he is approaching without any of these things. And he now gets to year seven. And he is counting down the day of the seven years. And he's done. They have a feast. And you can imagine as it got dark. Um, they gather, and now it's a time for the first night. It's the time he is supposed to consummate his marriage to Rachel. There is no electricity, right? They've been having a big celebration. They had a few too many drinks, and maybe they go into a dark room, and Laban sends in the older daughter, Leah. And he finds out that Rachel, uh, 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 Jacob notices that this is not Rachel. And he says, okay, okay, just, just. Literally, he's saying, I, I paid for this wedding feast. Let's just have a good week. You can have her just seven more years. Think about that. Here is God's anointed. Here is God's blessed. Here is the one that's part of God's main plan. Here is the one that uh, the main family in the Old Testament is going to now birth the Messiah. And he goes through this. He's got things to do, people to see. He's got lots that God needs to do, and yet God interrupts him. God pauses him. And he spends another seven years before he could marry Rachel. You see the parallels here. From his family life now 
to this situation. You got two siblings. You see the father favor the older, not the younger. Um, the deception happens in darkness. The deception, he deceived his father in his darkness when he couldn't see. He steal, and they, they steal and they con and they steal from one another in this way. And so if you look at this, you say, boy, this is what a coincidence, what a pattern. But this is, I believe, is God's hand upon him that he needed this kind of discipline. Derek Kidner in his commentary says this, in Laban, he met his match and his means of discipline. 20 years of drudgery and friction were to weather his character, and the reader can reflect that presumably Jacob is not the only person to have needed a Laban in his life. Somehow God Taylor made this situation for him. And it looked awfully like the situation he had just gotten out of that he had caused, and now he's going to understand what it's like to be on the other end of the raw deal. The older, the younger, the family dynamics, and being ripped off, and being stolen from, being deceived, and he it all happens to him, and it is a character-building lesson that is going on here. And he faces this hardship. 20 years total, 7-7, seven, seven, and another 6 years, having children. And life gets very complicated. As he now has uh, two wives and all these kids and sons, and we see later on in Joseph's life how he ends up uh, being left for dead by his older brothers. You can imagine all the dysfunctions that's happening here, leading to something like that. You know, someone said that it is the job of the pastor to prepare his people to suffer well. And I read that early in the week, and I thought about that. There are many at our church many friends outside of our church, many people we know personally that are going through really unbearable times, difficult times. And so this message was even that much more difficult to prepare as I was thinking and seeing faces and names and praying that these truths would somehow prepare us for the suffering that is to come. You know, Tim Keller had written a book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, it's interesting because he wrote this book and then he ends up um, having cancer. And so the interviews, to, I was listening to this week of him after, right, discussing how uh, after he had written this book, he's going through some of these things. One of the things he says, he says, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we work to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family, and successful with our careers, something will inevitably ruin it. And that's life, and that's what we face. But we face it well, we face it in a strong way because we are the people of God and God is with us. And we go now to jump ahead to Hebrews 12 and a message that's given there that ties in with the story, I believe, reminds us now of why the trials happen in life. And number one is uh, God is sovereign. God is still in control. It is difficult to say to someone these things because a lot of times for Christians, um, we know it. We know the theology in here. We sure don't feel it at times. But yet the Bible is very clear. He is sovereign. He is in full control. There is not one thing that happens without him. And so his will, it's not that he approves or uh, of sinful nature or death or suffering and he weeps for those who are weeping and so on. 
but at the same time, he allows it. And there are things that he does that we have no idea about. But yet, because it's from the Lord, because God is still here and God is present, we can have some sort of comfort. Hebrews 12, 5, it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. The discipline of the Lord. It's not of just the world. It's not just random things that are happening. It's not something because I caused it. But it's ultimately of the Lord. God allows us to go through these things. It comes from God. Now, this is very different than him punishing us. Many of us have a wrong understanding that we think when something bad happens to me, God is paying me back in retribution. He is punishing me. So if I get in a car accident or I get a ticket or something, oh, man, maybe it's because I, I didn't do my quiet time this week and I'm getting punished for this. And it is not a punishment. It is a discipline. Because the one that he punished is his own son, Jesus Christ. The punishment for our sin is there. The discipline now is to correct us. Punishment is to say, you owe me, so pay me back. And people in religion have been trying this all their lives to pay God back. But no, he says, no, I don't want you to pay me back. I want to discipline you. I want to help you. And so the writer of Hebrews now talks about, keeps using a, calling people son. If you're a legitimate son, for the father and the son, the earthly father, son, so on and so forth, describing a parent that tells the child, no. Oh, you can't do that. No, you got to share. No, don't play with this. No, wash your hands. No, listen to your mother. No, be kind to your brother. It's the parent. And they say, look at the parent if he does this. God, who is our heavenly father, loves us in this way. Uh, people back in Jesus, they believe this as well. In John 9, when they see a black man born blind, they say, who sinned, him or his parents, that he's born this way? Is this some kind of a punishment? He says, no, he did it so the glory of God could be displayed through his life. And so if we are facing trials, we could somehow take comfort that it is not God uh, making us pay him back. It's not a punishment. But it is a discipline that he is using. Um, secondly, God disciplines those he loves. So we see God who is powerful. And secondly, we see the motive. He loves. He does it out of love. And if someone does it out of love, we can accept that. If someone does it out of any other motive, we say, I'm not sure I want to take this difficult time. And it says here in chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 6, and the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. For it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? So he's saying he's doing this out of love. This is the motive. The motive makes the difference. You know, my uh, dear mother, my dear mother-in-law, every time I see them, just about, I go pay them a visit or whatnot, and they say, oh, I read about this vitamin, right? You should take this vitamin. It's like a horse pill, right? Oh, no, I, I, I have enough vitamin. Oh, you should take this vitamin. Oh, 
have you had this root? I'm like, oh, I don't like roots, you know. I'm not into roots. I'm into stuff under the, oh, it's supposed to, you know, um, whatever. Good for your skin. Oh, my skin's okay. No, it's good for your skin. Take it. Uh, take it. Have you tried this tea? I read in the paper, it's good. Oh, thank you. But it's out of love. If someone didn't love and was kept giving me roots and this and vitamins, and I'm like, hey, I don't want any of that. Get that away from me. And so God disciplines out of love. So we know that he is powerful and he is loving. And thirdly, that God disciplines with a purpose. It's not random. It's not just an inconvenience. It's not just something difficult we have to go through. No, it is with a purpose. And the purpose, I think, is twofold. It is to build character in our lives. And secondly, is to help us to help other people. It says in Hebrews 12, verse 10, Speaking about earthly fathers, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best for them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For our good. Something for us. Um, as Don Carson says this, God is doubtless doing, doubtless doing many things, perhaps thousands of things, millions of things, even if we can only detect two or three or a handful. He is doing millions of things. And in our limited understanding and perspective, we might see maybe two or three things, but he is doing so much more, millions of things happening that we are connected to and the people around us and the discipline we are going through is going to impact the next generation and the next generation or whatever it is. And I don't see it, but he is doing that. And he has a purpose in this way. It is in Romans 5, 3 and 4, right? It says, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Produces character. Dokime is the word. Character is translated in the uh, King James as experience. And so when you go for a job interview, you say, well, wh what did you study? What license or degrees do you have? And then what's your experience? How long have you worked there? How long have you supervised people? Wh what projects have you worked on? What's your experience? And the interviewer will often look for someone that has some of both. They're reluctant to get someone who just has the degrees and degrees and degrees and has never put it to use. They have no experience. They have no character. And it takes a little bit of time. This word character, though kime, is used when Paul describes Timothy in Philippians 2. Right? You know Timothy's though kime, his proven worth, his character, his experience. He has a good track record. So as we struggle and suffer at times. Uh, he is building this experience in us, holiness in us. And the second thing that the purpose, the purposes um, accomplishes of this discipline is so that we could comfort others. Second Corinthians 1.4, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by. So if we haven't received 
a comfort from God, if we haven't sought God out and gained strength and hope and, and gone through tears and before God, we can't go to someone else and say, hey, let me help you. You ever meet someone who is just perfect or at least acts like they are? There is no comfort talking to a person like that. Right? There is no comfort. The comfort comes when you say, oh my gosh, that person has gone through some tough times. That person's life is not easy at all. They had a tough childhood. But, man, hearing their story, it's inspiring. I remember years back, uh, even before Crossway had started, um, I had invited someone to speak. And uh, he was recommended to me, and I didn't know the person, and he was speaking, and he had started. First of all, he was, we were all in our early 30s at the time, but he looked very young. He looked like he was uh, early 20s, teenager. He looked very young. The same age as me, and he came up to speak, and the first thing he started was he started rattling off his resume. He went there, Ivy League this, Ivy League that, you know, Ph.D., and he basically said, I, I'm more educated than everyone in this room. And then he went into his uh, message. And by that time, like, everyone had just tuned him out, right? At least I did. And I was like, oh, my gosh, right? Who does he think he is? Still looks 18, right? Man, but his skin's pretty good, you know? I wonder if he takes the vitamin or whatever. Uh, but no one was saying, oh, it's comforting. No one said, oh, that's so comforting to hear from someone that is so smart and perfect. And maybe that wasn't his intent, right? But that's how, at that time, I took it. Like, oh, who does he think he is? Who is he trying to impress? And as we have lived life a little bit, we know it's not always like that. We know there are hardships and delays and inconveniences and suffering and discipline that comes our way. And so we are not impressed by that because we know what life is like. And so I tell us here, as we wrap up our messages, to be strong. Be strong. Hebrews 12, 12, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Literally, don't walk around and say, Oh, man, life is so hard. Lift up your drooping hands. Strengthen your knees. It's going to be okay. God is in control. Be strong. Philip Yancey had said, Faith means believing in advance. What will only make sense in reverse. And how true that is. As you are strong, wait. Wait for the Lord. He is working. Wait well. Wait praising instead of complaining. Wait with hope instead of in despair. Wait on the Lord. And not just the circumstance. Wait well. Look to Him daily. God, what are you teaching me? God, what am I learning through this? God, can you be my daily strength? He is still working. Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Love what John Piper says. He says, there is actually something happening while nothing is happening. God uses waiting to change us. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You see repetition, especially in one verse. The writer is trying to get the point across. He wants to yell it out, scream it out, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. And so I want to encourage us. And though it's not easy, 
And though it is difficult, and though sometimes our belief system gets shaken up a little bit and we go to God with tears and questions more than statements of faith and hope, he is still there. Wait for him. Be strong. And so I want to encourage us with that today. Uh, Let's bow our heads in prayer. So Lord, we thank you that even the disciplines and the trials we face, you are God. You are there. And Lord, millions of things are happening. You are working on our behalf. We might be sitting still saying, when can life go on? When can I go on with my plans? Lord, you are working. So whether it's seven years, 14 years, 20 years, whatever it is, God, there is a lesson. You are working through us and in us. So Lord, we trust in you. Strengthen us today. For my dear brothers and sisters who are struggling, Lord, strengthen them today. Strengthen their knees. Raise up their hands. Lord, to live for you today. You are good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.